Today I'm going to be meditating on the story of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, so sort of tangentially related to Christmas. Uh, this story appears in Luke 1, 5 to 25 and 39 to 80, and Mary, mother of Jesus, while she's pregnant, does make an appearance in the story. So um, here's the scriptures first. Uh, So there was in the days of Herod, a king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of of, of the Lord and blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill, into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they have called, that they called, came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. 
But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what would he have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their, heart, in their hearts, saying, What kind of a child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who, who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the days from the, the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Okay, so a um, couple thoughts about that before I get into my retelling. So Zacharias and Elizabeth are the only other truly elderly couple in scripture to bear a child besides Abraham and Sarah. And there are a lot of interesting parallels between Isaac and John the Baptist. Why this couple and why now? Why did this his need to be a miraculous birth? So Gabriel did tell Zacharias that his prayer, prayers for a child were heard in Luke 1.13, so we know that Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted children long before this. Zacharias's response to Gabriel's good news was skepticism based upon their ages, which suggests that he'd given up praying for children long ago when he thought that it was too late. But given all the promises in scripture for fertility for those who followed the Lord, and the fact that this couple was blameless, I'm sure they wondered why it seemed that the Lord had not fulfilled his end of the promise. Elizabeth also called her barrenness a reproach. We know from the question the disciples asked Jesus about the man who was born blind from who was blind from birth in John nine one to five that it was a common belief amongst the Israelites that physical ailments were a direct punishment for personal sin. Thus, like blameless Job, the people likely would have believed that it was some sin on their part that had kept them from bearing children all these years. But God didn't forget them. It just took faith and patience, a lot of it, for them to inherit this particular promise. One reason for this is likely because John's conception and birth would have caused such a stir and attracted such attention. Gabriel appears to Zacharias while he's performing his duties at the temple, and the fact that he's subsequently struck dumb alerts everyone who was waiting for him outside the temple that he must have seen a vision. Then, after five months of seclusion, elderly Elizabeth is re- reveals to all that she is pregnant. Imagine the whispers. She gives birth to a child, and then on the eighth day they break, they break with all tradition and they name him John, a name found nowhere in their lineage. As soon as Zacharias complies with Gabriel's final decree, his tongue is loosed and he announces to all the onlookers that this is to be the prophet they have all been waiting for for these 400 years. Had his conception and birth been ordinary, this child would not have caused such a stir or such expectation. 
That's one reason why the Lord probably chose an elderly, faithful couple to be the parents of John the Baptist. But I suspect the other reason is because Elizabeth and Mary were close relatives. In my retelling, I imagine that she was her great-aunt, though the, the scriptures don't say what their exact relationship is. They obviously knew each other well, though, because Mary goes to stay with Elizabeth for three months. This close relationship with another woman who had a miracle pregnancy was probably very important for Mary, who was being asked to take such an enormous leap of faith, knowing that she would be ostracized for getting pregnant out of wedlock. Not only does Elizabeth's pregnancy confirm Gabriel's words for Mary, but the Lord reveals to Elizabeth that Mary, too, is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and with the Son of God. I'm sure Mary really needed this confirmation of the angel's word to her and the encouragement. While scripture never talks about the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist as children, given the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth and the prophetic connection between the two boys' lives, they must have known each other before they each stepped into their ministries. And Jesus was born in the fullness of time. We know that from Galatians 4, 4 4-7. So he couldn't have come any earlier than he did. His forerunner had to just barely precede him. So had the Lord granted Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayer for children any earlier, they couldn't have been the parents of John the Baptist. I also suspect that John's later evangelistic success was, in part, due to the widespread knowledge of his miraculous birth. This great honor was reserved for a faithful couple, a couple who would continue to believe in him even when it looked like his word had failed. But this couple, or Elizabeth at least, knew that God's promises never fail. 1 Kings 8.56 He can't lie. 1 Samuel 15.29 His word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 1. 1989-90. Zacharias's muteness may have been a punishment for his unbelief, but I think Elizabeth's interpretation that I give in the retelling that I'm about to share is a little bit more accurate. Scripture makes it very clear that death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18:21, and really throughout Proverbs it talks about this, and that we will have what we say, that's Numbers 14:28-29. Zacharias's protest to Gabriel expressed unbelief. It may well have been that Gabriel struck him mute so that he could not stop John's conception and birth from coming to pass by speaking forth his doubts. The end of Malachi 4.6, prophesying the return of Elijah before the Messiah, says, Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That was the last word from the prophets for 400 years. What a strange statement that without the forerunner to prepare the way for the Lord, Jesus might have cursed the earth rather than redeem it. It's hard to imagine Jesus doing such a thing, and yet in his second coming, he will loose, he will judge those who refuse to repent. Apparently, the first and the second coming could have been one and the same without John's six-month ministry calling people to a baptism of repentance in Luke 3. In those six months, John became incredibly well-known, and his impact continued even long after his death. In fact, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the great apostle Apollos preached the word accurately, but he knew only of the baptism of John. We see that in Acts 18, verse 25. Paul found that even Gentile believers in Ephesus knew only the baptism of John and had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts 19, 1-5. John's teaching of repentance from sins clearly spread far and wide long after both his death and the death and resurrection of Jesus. His ministry, preparing the way for the Messiah, long outlasted him. Many churches today, and many believers, in a way, still only preach the the baptism of John. They focus exclusively on repentance from sins, a necessary first step to prepare the way for the fruits and gifts that come from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But repentance is meant to be the preparation, not the end in itself. John himself said this in Luke 3.16. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit just as the disciples did in order to fulfill their calling, and that was Luke 24, verse, verse 49. We can't do it without him. All right, so here is the retelling of Elizabeth's miraculous conception and birth of John the Baptist from Elizabeth's perspective. 
Goodbye, my love. Zacharias kissed me and threw his traveling cloak around his shoulders before mounting his donkey. Then he added with a teasing wink, try to stay out of trouble. I smiled at his little joke. We lived in the hill country of Judea. We kept no servants, and we were childless, so I would be all alone and could not possibly get up to any trouble even if I wanted to. Usually, when Zacharias's term came to serve as a priest in the temple, I spent the time gardening, tending our few livestock, and experimenting with new dishes to feed Zacharias when he returned home. "'What will you do with yourself?' he asked the customary question, expecting my answer to be the same as always. Today, though, it wasn't. "'You know, I've been drawn to the books of the kings lately for some reason. I think I'll study that. My husband had taught me to read in our early marriage. When I was younger, I required his help in interpreting what I read. Now that I was in my seventies, I knew the texts almost as well as he did. Zacharias pursed his lips before moving his donkey forward. Elijah, he guessed, and I nodded. Funny, I've been drawn to those passages too of late. Oh, really? I mused. Perhaps the time is drawing near? After four hundred years of prophetic silence, the last verse in Malachi promised that Elijah himself would return as the forerunner of Messiah. Zacharias chuckled. Perhaps every generation has believed that theirs would be the one to see the Lord's anointed, but someone will have to be right eventually. He winked and dug his heel into his donkey's side. I watched him ride to the top of the hill, waving, until he was out of sight. Then I looked up to the sky to judge how much time I had to spend upon my studies and went inside, withdrawing the scroll Zacharias kept of the Hebrew texts. I meant to go straight to the records of the kings, but the scroll unrolled of its own accord to Exodus. A passage that I had meditated on years ago practically leapt off the page at me. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I blinked and tried to shake it off. I kept unrolling, and one of the scrolls fell to the table, exposing a text opened to Deuteronomy. There shall not be male or female barren among you. I closed my eyes, breathing through the unexpected stab of an old wound. I had clung to these verses and to many others that promised the same thing in my youth, even into middle age. But when my cycles had ceased, I realized I had a choice. Either I would believe that God had forgotten to honor his covenant, that his promises to me had failed, that he had forsaken me, or I would consider my continued barrenness a mystery and decide to trust him anyway, believing that one day it would make sense. I chose the latter, since I knew the former would lead only to bitterness. God is good. He is faithful. I had staked my entire life upon that, and I would not waver now. Yet I had never revisited those passages in all these years. They were too painful. I breathed through it until the emotion subsided. Another scroll slipped free, revealing the latter psalms. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb his reward. Like arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Stop! I gasped out loud, clutching my chest. I wasn't sure if I was begging the Lord to stop or some outside force. I only knew I did not want to revisit this subject. There was more to the issue of being a barren woman than, not, than of not having a child. That by itself would have been bad enough. But Deuteronomy made it very clear that God would bless those who obeyed him and curse those who disobeyed him. Because of this, the common belief amongst the, new, the Jews was that those who suffered a curse of any kind were receiving their just deserts. The story of Job should have dispelled the concept that affliction is always connected to personal sin, and yet the idea persisted. Zacharias and I were not perfect, of course, but we had believed in the Lord and in his promises, like Abraham had done. I was sure that, like Abraham, our faith was counted to us as righteousness. Yet, despite this, and despite the very clear promises in Scripture, we remained childless. I knew that many secretly wondered what sin I had committed to merit such a punishment. I had asked the Lord about this for almost a year after my cycles had ceased, but eventually I stopped asking. I had to. The question was driving me crazy. I took another deep breath and opened, finally, to the records of the kings. I reread the familiar story of Elijah's sudden arrival, announcing the famine to King Ahab. What a man he was! He reminded me a bit of King David with his outrageous faith. 
without any direct word from God, he decided to take God's statement of a famine as part of the curse in Deuteronomy and just go declare it to the king. I could just see God watching Elijah in heaven, shaking his head and smiling, almost with incredulity if God could be incredulous. This guy was incredible. Over the next couple of days of Zacharias's absence, I pored over the story of the famine, the ravens that fed Elijah by the brook of Sherith, the widow of Zarephath, and the first recorded story of the resurrection of the dead. How did Elijah know that resurrection was even possible? It had never been done before, and there was no record that God had told him anything about it. But if anybody was going to test the boundaries of what was possible in God, it was he. My favorite story was, uh, was of Mount Carmel. Surrounded by enemies, Elijah was supremely in control of himself, jeering at all the, hunt, the 750 false prophets. Perhaps your God did not answer because he was relieving himself, he taunted. I laughed out loud at that every time. Then he doused his own offering in water multiple times to make it as hard as possible to set ablaze before he called upon the Lord. Fire fell from heaven at once, of course, consuming not just his offering, but his entire altar and every last drop of water. I realized that I was grinning with pride and stopped to wonder at my own reaction. Pride implied ownership, didn't it? Strange. I paused in my reading and prepared my, for, uh, for, my, uh, for myself an easy breakfast, an easy supper of bread and milk. I could cook, but I didn't feel like it right now. I had no one to feed but myself, and I was too otherwise engrossed. The day I expected Zacharias's return, I skipped the story in, latter, in the Latter Kings, where God took Elijah up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elisha, meanwhile, stood down below and watched as Elijah, Elijah's prophetic mantle passed to him. Then I opened to the passage at the end of Malachi. Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What did this mean? I wondered. Send Elijah? Would he return the way he left in a chariot of fire? Would he return in the same body with the same mind and personality? The scripture gave no indication that a person who died could return to the earth in a new body, but then Elijah had never actually died. He was one of only two people recorded in scripture who had not, the other being Enoch from Genesis. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I had never thought about this passage before either. Did this mean that without Elijah preceding the coming Messiah, that Messiah might find that the hearts of his people had grown cold and might curse the earth rather than redeem it? That was a chilling thought. It certainly made Elijah's second coming critical. It occurred to me that Zacharias should have been here by now. I looked out the window at the position of the sun. It was late afternoon. Usually, he returned on the last day of his service by midday. I determined not to worry about it, since there was nothing I could do anyway, and rose from my studies, grabbing my basket. I went out into my garden and began to collect vegetables and herbs for supper that evening. I rose when the faint clop of donkey's hoofs finally... uh, I heard the faint clop of donkey's hoofs behind me. Finally, I cried out, turning around. I shielded my eyes from the late afternoon sun, squinting to see Zacharias atop the donkey in his traveling cloak. It's almost sunset. What kept you so long? He did not answer, though the donkey plodded on. I frowned. Hadn't he heard me? Zacharias? Still, he did not reply, though he waved and and nodded that he had heard me. Something was very strange. I dropped my basket and walked forward to meet him. When I came close enough, he made an exaggerated mime of writing. Then he pointed at the house. I read his lips and saw that he mouthed the words, Get me a scroll and a pen. Can can you not talk? He shook his head no and dismounted, leading his donkey by the reins to the stable. I stood dumbfounded as well, wondering what to make of this. Was it an illness of some kind? But if that were the case, if he had merely lost his voice, surely he could still at least whisper. Yet no sound escaped his lips at all. 
Finally, Zacharias joined me, putting a hand on my lower back and ushering me inside. I found for him the scroll, jar of ink, and pen, and set them on the table beside the open scriptures. He scribbled as fast as he could. I saw an angel in the temple. His name He said his name was Gabriel. My heart started to gallop. The same one who appeared to Daniel? I gasped, and my husband nodded vigorously. The very same, he wrote. He says you are going to bear a son. He stopped writing and looked at me. I stared at the words. My mind went blank, but my knees suddenly gave out, and I sank to a seat beside him. Zacharias reached out and took my hand in his, nodding at me as if to say, I mean what I say. Children are a heritage of the Lord, the verse echoed in my mind. Heritage, as in inheritance. It's a promise. I looked up to heaven and whispered, Why now? Why not, I don't know, forty years ago? Zacharias wrote, We are to call him John. I know there is no one in our family by that name, he added, as if he thought that would be my next question. He is to be the forerunner of the Christ, and will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. My mouth fell open. That was why the Lord had taken me back to all those passages. The promise for a child, the story of Elijah, the promises for the forerunner. That meant the Messiah was coming. Soon. Probably in my lifetime. My hands absently sought my belly. Zacharias placed his hands over mine. I looked up at him. But why can't you talk? I whispered at him. He looked a little bit bashful, and hesitated before he wrote, I talked back to Gabriel. I let out a short guffaw. You did what? He nodded, gave me a sheepish grin, and wrote, I told him we were too old to have children. He said I would be mute until the day of John's birth. Now I laughed out loud. Well, it serves you right, I teased him, wiping away the tears that I suddenly realized had leaked onto my face. Then I caught my breath. Wait a minute. Zack. I shook my head. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. That wasn't a punishment. It's because our words can stop it from coming to pass if they don't agree with what the Lord said. I clamped my hands on my cheek, squeezing my eyes tightly shut. In a strange way, I was grateful for my husband's affliction because it served as a sign to me. I had not seen Gabriel, but Zacharias would not invent such an ailment. He never even would have thought of it. Without his muteness, I might have wondered in time whether he had imagined the encounter. But here was proof. I lifted both hands in the air and whispered, "'Praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, you have not forgotten me. You have taken away my reproach from among my people. You have granted me the high honor of not only bearing a child past the age of childbearing like Sarah, but the honor of bearing a great prophet like Hannah.' I grinned at Zacharias. "'He'll be a firebrand, too, if Elijah was any indication.' I sniffed, wiping my tears away with the back of my hand. "'I can hardly wait to meet him.' Over the next several days, I pumped Zacharias for information until he had written down every detail of his encounter with Gabriel. I wanted to know exactly what the angel looked like and exactly what he had said. I wanted it to be as if I had seen him myself. For the thousandth time, I was grateful that my husband had taught me to read. He wrote of how he had lingered in shock inside the temple long past the end of his service, which was why he had been late getting home. Then, when he finally emerged, the people guessed that he had seen a vision when he could not speak to them. "'But you haven't told anyone, I press, right?' He shook his head no, and I breathed a sigh of relief. Good. He gave me a quizzical look, and I tried to put my feelings into words. Finally, I said, You know what people will say, Zack. I'm seventy, and I was barren even when I was young. They'll be well-meaning, but they'll try to talk me out of it because they don't want me getting my hopes up. Death in life is in the power of the tongue, and... I groped for words. I just don't want anyone to see me until it's undeniable. Right now, let's just keep this between us. We'll study Elijah, study the messianic prophecies so we can guide John and his purpose when the time comes, rehearse what Gabriel told you, and then just introduce the world to our son. Zacharias reached out, took me by both hands, and squeezed. Then he moved one of his hands to my soft, slightly sagging belly. He leaned forward and kissed me. For five months, I remained at home, meditating upon what the Lord had done for me, dreaming of the days to come. Then, finally, I came out of seclusion. 
I said nothing to anyone about the little bulge as I went into the marketplace, whistling like I had a great secret. I saw people looking and whispering, but no one was brave enough to ask me. They probably had convinced themselves that I had just put on weight in a strange way, or perhaps that I had a tumor. In my sixth month, Zacharias and I were at home, and I heard that we had a visitor. He answered the door, though I ran to intercept whoever it was, since, of course, Zacharias could not speak to them. I heard the young female voice of my grandniece Mary, and at once I felt little John give a great kick. It doubled me over, and in the moment I tried to catch my breath, a flash of insight came to me. Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. I blinked, tears of joy pricking my eyes. The thought arrived with such absolute conviction that the Lord might as well have said it out loud. I heard Mary awkwardly trying to understand why my husband would not greet her, and I straightened, calling out as I approached, "'God has blessed you, above all women, and your child is blessed!' She startled, and grew suddenly pale. I grinned back knowingly. "'Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said.' Mary gave me a quavering smile, her eyes full of tears, and I understood that the Lord had given me those words for her sake. She was unmarried, a virgin, and newly pregnant. Her miracle was even greater than mine. But she was not showing yet, and she was struggling to believe. That was why the Lord had sent her to me, to see my miracle as an encouragement to her. Her eyes went to my belly, and I beamed proudly, putting a hand on either side of it. She ran forward and hugged me, and burst into a song of praise worthy of King David, bless her little heart. I joined in, and though Zacharias could not, could not, he watched and raised his hands up to the Lord in worship. "'Stay with us,' I urged Mary when she had finished, all three of us grinning and exultant. "'At least until you were showing. It's easier that way, believe me.' Mary's joyful expression faltered. "'But Joseph doesn't know yet.' "'Who's Joseph?' I asked. "'My betrothed,' she murmured. "'He had only just asked for my hand when the angel Gabriel appeared to me. "'Oh, Gabriel Gabriel is the one who came to you, too!' I cast a fond look at my husband, who looked bemused. Mary nodded and confessed, "'I love Joseph, but I know what he will think, obviously. "'What else could he possibly think?' "'Why would he believe such a story?' "'I squeezed Mary's hand. "'Let the Lord take care of it,' I advised her. "'It's his problem, after all. "'He got you into this mess. "'He'll work out the details.' "'Mary giggled, and I watched her fondly. "'She was so very young. "'What an incredible weight to place upon those narrow shoulders. "'And yet the Lord would not have chosen her "'if he did not know that she was up to the task. "'Stay with us,' I urged her again. "'Until John is born, at least.' "'I gasped, as it just occurred to me right then. "'They'll be cousins, then! "'John and the Messiah!' "'Yes!' Mary laughed, and only six months apart in age. "'They will have to play together as children,' I asserted at once. "'They'll grow up to be great friends.' "'Then I added, musing aloud, "'I wonder when we should tell them.' "'Mary puffed out a heavy breath. "'One problem at a time, please.' "'I chuckled. "'Very wise, child, very wise.' "'Mary did remain with us for three months. "'I still went out to the marketplace until just before my time, "'and by then all my friends and neighbors knew my real condition and marveled.' When I gave birth, I was so enamored with my child that it took me almost a full day to notice that Zacharias still could not speak. I was rather used to his silence now, but this confused me and upset him. When the time came for the child's circumcision on the eighth day, as prescribed by the law, it was also time to officially declare his name. They asked me what, it, what he was to be called, whether he would, they would name him Zacharias after his father. This had never occurred to me. No, I asserted at once. His name is John. John? asked the priest, perplexed. But there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. Surely he will be Zacharias. They turned to my husband, who gestured for a writing tablet. He wrote very clearly, His name is John. As the priest stared at the tablet in wonder, Zacharias burst forth, Praise the Lord! I gasped. You can speak! Zacharias, laughing and crying at once, hugged me and took the little bundle from my arms. He gazed down at John with such love that for a second I had the strange thought that I was looking into the face of God, seeing his love for my newborn child reflected in my husband's face. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, he proclaimed, because he has visited and redeemed his people. 
He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. I blinked at Zacharias, astonished, and looked around the room to see the reactions of the rest of the priests. It was clear to me, at least, that the words were not Zacharias's own. Something, the Holy Spirit, surely, had taken hold of him. He went on, gazing down at John. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. I realized I wasn't breathing. I sucked in a breath and turned to one of the priests. Did you write that all down? I demanded. As if galvanized by my words, he jumped up to find a scroll and ink. I looked at Zacharias and and whispered as I caressed our son's head. He'll want to hear his father's prophecy about him when he grows up. I kissed his forehead and added tenderly, Our little Elijah. So I hope that helped you to get into the spirit of that. Um, Thanks for joining me. Merry Christmas and see you next week. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.